Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The title of today's floretry selection is Fragile. said life is fragile to no one in particular, but caught a glance of acknowledgement in the distance from across a restaurant table, a gaze of silent pain hidden beneath quaint surface masks presented for social consumption, like an entree that beckons one, yet is left untouched as conversation moved on to other issues. Transitory events flickering and shimmering in the seconds of now so quickly that one really can't keep pace, leaving one's imagination breathless as one runs life's treadmill like gerbils in a circular container that we keep in motion even as stray thoughts ricochet about our soul's heart seeking a way out of confinement. He professed his love for her through anaconda coils of devotion, leaving her to fend off anxiety and fear and isolation away from everyone gasping for each small breath of identity and dignity, in mortal combat with a pathology which is disguised as something other than heartless egocentricity. Health somehow disappears, replaced by alien forces coursing through our inner recesses while pursuing their own life cycle. Scuttled by pains that sink memories of better times, we navigate through the churning waters of being's coastline, hoping to find our way to harbors of mercy where one's mortality feels not quite so exposed. Lives starting off with glorious potential are derailed by debris strewn from the wreck of choices ill-advised or just unlucky, some made by us, some by others, Thoughts of, if only this or that, break across reflection bow. Life is a game of missed opportunity, as destiny manifests itself through intentions that can't be undone. Distant rumbles of poverty herald the storm's coming possibility, 
but we remain uncertain about what, if anything, can be done. Preparations have been made, but who knows with what ferocity the winds will blow, or what, despite our best efforts, will be torn asunder before the onslaught of a physics that outflanks our means. We claim to be passionate concerning life's gifts, but such intensity is often just a way of reframing ego-laden emotions of jealousy, enmity, and other dross metals that disturb the ecology of our hearts and souls, creating chaotic dynamics within society's fabric that, like acid, corrode. The unknown haunts our dreams like a nightmarish fiend that seeps into essential vulnerabilities, mysteries that surround and permeate our being, enigmas which taunt an arrogance that seeks to pretend to understand what is beyond its capacity, secrets that anger blindness as we fail to see how divinity beckons. Refugees flee from an orchestrated madness that has been fermented by shadowy figures who hide in the anonymity of corporate boardrooms and councils of government, recklessly crafting toxic brews for which, by design, they likely will be held unaccountable due to scales of justice which have lost their propriety. Terror is on the horizons and within us, signs of a time spinning out of control. Hope is an endangered species. We all point fingers of responsibility towards everyone but ourselves, as if we have nothing to do with the beast which has been let loose to cannibalize truth, destroying civilization. Files are being kept. We shun intimacy even as inquiries are made concerning the whereabouts of love, a hidden treasure that is so elusive despite leaving clues everywhere like pearls before swine. Love is woven into the fabric of being. Just look into the mirror. Unfortunately, the tain is stained with impurities that do not reflect. Death infiltrates life inexplicably. Like a grisly roulette wheel whose inner workings have been fixed by the house, appearing to be random and yet methodically making its rounds unflinchingly taking from us all that is most cherished, until finally it knocks at our door, seeking the return of that which previously was loaned. Yes, life is so very fragile. Fault lines run in every direction. Fractures are threatening to erupt in ways most unanticipated. The epicenter is within us. There is no place to flee. We are caught in the paths of a maze which offers no reprieve. Time is running out. The existential planes are slipping. Remember, God is here. Today's short story is entitled, The Building of Rome. A youth who was interested in spirituality was initiated into a certain mystical path after spending a period of time with the guide for the tradition and learning about the basic teachings of that way. Once the youngster officially had set foot on the spiritual path, the neophyte was given a mystical chant 
to do which would help him to deepen his understanding of and commitment to the aforementioned spiritual teachings. As is often the case with newcomers, the youth had been observing the chant on a fairly regular basis. The excitement of embarking on a great journey had not yet worn off, and therefore the boy was very enthusiastic towards everything he was given to do. One night, not too long after starting to practice his chant on a regular basis, the boy had an experience unlike anything else which had previously had taken place in his life. The experience was so overwhelming that he rushed to the teacher's house and sought an audience with his guide. Although the hour was late, the teacher was very accommodating to the youngster and permitted him to enter, showing the youth to a sofa in the living room. The rest of the teacher's family already had retired for the evening, so the two were left undisturbed. The youngster was spilling over with emotion, hardly able to contain himself. The teacher was about to say something when the boy exclaimed, I have seen God! I have seen God! The teacher smiled and told the boy to take a deep breath, try to relax, and then, if possible, describe what had taken place. The youth followed the instructions of his guide, and when a measure of calmness had descended on the boy, the youngster began to give an account of his experience. The teacher listened carefully to the boy's story. When the youth finished his tale of wonder, the teacher remarked, You silly boy, you haven't seen God. All you have experienced are the lights of blessing that sometimes occur when a person begins the chant which you have been given. Yes, what you have experienced is a very good sign. But, my son, what has transpired is a very long, long way from actually realizing or witnessing the presence of divinity in any essential way. In the future, try not to jump to conclusions. While I am always interested in whatever experiences you may have, you need to learn a degree of restraint, and maybe next time you might wait till a more reasonable hour before you start proclaiming you have seen God. The teacher rose, and as he did, so did the boy. The teacher put his hand on the boy's shoulder and gave it an affectionate squeeze, and then led the youth to the door. At the door, the teacher said, Good night, my son. Do keep up your observance of the chant you have been given, and if God wishes, then you may be brought to a very good spiritual condition. The boy apologized to his teacher about having disturbed the latter and having been so foolish as to mistake his minor experience for the reality of having seen God. The teacher assured the youngster that it was perfectly all right and that such things do happen and not to worry about it. Just try to remember to have a bit more restraint and composure should the youth be visited by another mystical experience. Many years passed and the boy continued to trod the spiritual path. But because the mystical path tends to be quite long, with many ups and downs, the boy, who now had become a young man, was not quite as enthusiastic about the mystical way as he had been when he first stepped onto the path. Although the young man did try to be regular with his chant, he often went through periods when mystical practices seemed to be the farthest thing from his mind and heart. During one of these mystical dry spells, he sought permission to speak with his teacher. Permission was granted, 
and when he met with his spiritual mentor, he started to talk about the difficulties which he was encountering. As he described what was going on, he began crying. In between sobs and sighs, the young man wistfully recalled his enthusiasm when he first set foot on the path and how meticulous he had been in everything. Now it seemed that most of the earlier enthusiasm had left him, and he found doing such practices as the chant that had been given to him to be a real struggle, a struggle which he didn't always win. When the young man had finished unburdening himself, his teacher smiled and said, Well, what you are going through is actually not all that uncommon. Many people, even some of those who have gone on to achieve great spiritual heights, often have encountered times very much like those that you have been describing and in which you are currently immersed. The teacher continued on. The good news is that even though you are struggling, nonetheless you keep coming back to your practices from time to time and consequently you have not abandoned them altogether. You may not feel the little you do is very important, but believe me, son, every small thing you do in an effort to travel along the mystical path does not go unnoticed in the spiritual realm. Moreover, there is something which you may not realize, and perhaps the best way for me to inform you about this is to tell you a short story. The story is about Satan. The young man's spiritual guide was quiet for a moment, while getting ready to relate the story. As he waited for the teacher to go on, the young man noticed that already his spirits were picking up a bit just by being in the same room with his teacher and being able to listen to whatever the man wished to say. The teacher began to speak again. Satan is a very clever fellow. He is able to learn many things through his guile and disguises. On one occasion, Satan came to know about the existence of a chant, which was said to guarantee heaven to anyone who was engaged in saying the chant at the time of his or her time of finally departing from this world, in other words, at the time of death. Through deception and stealth, Satan came to learn the precise nature of the chant, and he began to repeat this chant night and day to such an extent that even when he slept, his whole inner being was engaged in this chant. Satan believed he had found a way to outmaneuver his alleged destiny. He believed he had found a way to avoid hell and attain heaven. Because Satan is in denial about various truths, he does not accept the fact that at his time of demise, he will be made to forget the chant he has acquired through deceitful means, and therefore, all the chanting he has been doing for so many millennia will do him absolutely no good, and his terrible destiny will be realized. He has been informed about all of this, but he does not believe what he has been told. In fact, all of this has merely angered him, and he has vented his pique against humankind because, among other things, it is his jealousy of human spiritual potential that caused him to be rebellious in the first place. One of the ways which Satan gives expression to his anger is to try to entice people who have stepped onto the spiritual path to forget to do whatever chance have been given to them by their guide. I think modern psychoanalysis would say that Satan is suffering from a mixture of denial, 
reaction formation, projection, and sublimation. And as a result, he is trying to bring about in man what is going to happen in him. However, human beings who have stepped onto the path have a protection which Satan does not have, for it is the spiritual link between a seeker and her or his guide that helps the seeker to keep returning to active observance of the mystical path. So, my son, please do understand that even though you are experiencing spiritual difficulty at the present time, the fact you keep returning to your chant from time to time is a sign of the spiritual support you have which is helping to remind you to do your chant. Satan does not enjoy this support and consequently at the critical time he will, as I indicated earlier, forget what he needs to be doing at the time of his passing away from life. The teacher rose as a way of marking the end of the session. He accompanied the young man to the door and sent him off into the night with a wish of peace and harmony for the future. Some further years passed, and many of the young man's spiritual difficulties gradually fell by the wayside. He often remembered the words of his teacher, and little by little he began to do his assigned chant with more regularity and enthusiasm, feeling the bond between himself and his guide was growing stronger in the process. The young man had been faithfully observing his chant for a number of years when he began to experience a certain amount of disappointment. He recalled the feelings he had when he first began doing the chant, how extraordinary they were. Yet in all of these years of observing the chant on a very regular basis, nothing further had happened. Various sorts of doubts began to grow in his mind and heart. In fact, the doubts became so pervasive that he once again felt the need to go to his spiritual guide and inform him about what was going on, and so he made an appointment to see his teacher. As always, his teacher received him with gentleness and kindness. The young man explained his situation and summed it up by saying, I guess my biggest doubt about all of this is I feel that I have been saying the chant you have given me every day for years now, and I don't feel like I am getting anywhere with it. I don't see any evidence that the effort has borne fruit. I haven't had any more experiences like I did when I first started to observe the practice, and I feel like I'm either doing something wrong or there is something wrong somewhere or other, and I just don't know what the problem is. The teacher shook his head and said, Nothing is wrong. Everything is proceeding as it should. You are doing what you are supposed to be doing. The chant is doing what it is intended to do. Somewhat frustrated, the young man blurted out, Then why aren't I seeing any results? Why haven't I had any more experiences like the one which I had years ago when I first started doing the chant? The teacher responded by saying, Well, first of all, the purpose of mystical practices is not necessarily to generate extraordinary experiences of this or that kind. Yes, sometimes as a blessing, we are given certain signs to help increase our faith in the truth that there is a real efficacy in a given practice, but things don't always happen this way. You might be surprised to learn that if you were to experience right now all of the spiritual light and blessings which have accrued to you over the years of your observing your chant, you would be burnt to a cinder. Perhaps the best way to explain things to you is to say that the benefit of your years of practice is being held in a sort of spiritual escrow for you and that 
at the appropriate time you will be given what is due to you. If you remember, I talked many years ago about Satan and how night and day he is observing the chant that he believes is going to be his ticket to heaven, but which in truth will come to naught. Unlike Satan, what you are doing, God willing, is being preserved, and all you have to do is to be faithful to the process. You are making good progress, and you should be happy that I am happy with you the way things are going for you spiritually. Just remember what was said about the building of Rome, and realize that the human soul is much more complex and delicate than a mere collection of material buildings. This week's edition of Musical Interlude is entitled, Make-A-Wish. From near the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. The title of today's rendition of Meditative Essays 
is betrayal. We live in an age of betrayal. This disease has diffused into virtually every nook and cranny of society. There are few, if any, people whose lives have not been affected in one way or another by its presence. In fact, for the vast majority of us, betrayal comes at us from a wide variety of angles, both from within as well as from outside of us. Husbands betray wives and wives betray husbands. The nature of the betrayal involves more than sexual infidelities, although that is in itself a source of deep injury and trauma. Husbands and wives also betray one another when they lose interest in the other person as a human being and therefore become increasingly open to sacrificing their spouse's essential needs for purely transitory worldly gains or material sensory gratification. Parents betray children when they abuse them sexually, physically, and emotionally. Parents betray children when they abdicate responsibility for nurturing the developmental well-being of the child and turn that task over to television or expect schools to accomplish the task unassisted. Parents betray children by drifting into drug and alcohol-induced stupors, as well as career addictions bequeathing to their children little more than a psychological, emotional, and spiritual wasteland. Elected officials betray voters through failure to keep election promises. Elected officials betray their constituents by placing their own interests above that of the people they are supposed to serve. Elected officials betray their communities by allowing the special interests of the few to take precedence over the needs of the many. Elected officials betray their supporters by becoming involved in politics rather than implementing the true spirit of public service. Native peoples in North America have been betrayed consistently by governments and non-Native people. In fact, Indigenous people everywhere in the world have been betrayed by their non-Indigenous quote-unquote neighbors. Corporations have betrayed their workers by exposing the latter to all matter of hazardous, unsafe, and toxic working conditions. Adding insult to injury, many of these same corporations do not offer a fair day's wage for a fair day's labor. Many companies have betrayed the communities in which they reside as a result of being more concerned about profits than the pollution and ecological destruction which underwrites those profits. Corporations have betrayed the communities in which they exist through the manner in which they threaten, badger, corrupt, and terrorize those communities in order to get tax breaks, as well as government concessions concerning the enforcement of regulations involving safety and pollution. Lawyers betray their clients when the former violate their fiduciary responsibilities to the latter. These betrayals range from embezzling funds to cutting deals which are not necessarily in their clients' best interest, to going through the motions and thereby cheating their clients of commitment, energy, and an effort worthy of the money they are being paid. Lawyers have betrayed the communities in which they practice by helping to create and perpetuate the mess that we call our judicial system. More than a few therapists have betrayed their clients. More than a few doctors have betrayed their patients. More than a few banks have betrayed their customers. More than a few educators have betrayed their students. More than a few religious leaders have betrayed their congregations. More than a few leaders have betrayed their countries. More than 
one race has betrayed people of other races. More than a few papers have betrayed their readers. More than a few pro-athletes have betrayed their fans. More than a few friends have betrayed their comrades. Seemingly, there is no end to the list of betrayals which shape, color, and modulate so much of our lives. However, there exists one kind of betrayal without which none of the foregoing myriad forms of betrayals likely would occur. Most of us betray ourselves. We betray our essence. We betray our spiritual potential. We betray our true identities. We betray our humanity. We betray our integrity and character and honor. We betray our relationship with God. One cannot betray others unless one has first betrayed oneself. Once one has betrayed oneself, everyone else is relatively easy. If one is willing to betray oneself, who does not become a target of opportunity for such treachery? If one cannot prevent oneself from betraying oneself, how can one stop oneself from betraying other people? We betray others and ourselves through our insensitivities and selfishness. We betray others and ourselves through our emotional immaturity. We betray others and ourselves through our broken promises, commitments, and undertakings. We betray others and ourselves through the absence of love in our lives. We betray others and ourselves through our failure to be forgiving, patient, honest, forbearing, compassionate, and generous. We betray others and ourselves through our refusal to be understanding and encouraging and supportive. The Sufi path is designed to assist the individual to learn, among other things, how to stop betraying himself or herself. Sufi masters help us to become aware of the sources of such betrayal, as well as to help us to become sensitized to the way in which the betrayal process works. Through God's blessings of support, the teachers of the Sufi path lead people towards an understanding of what self-respect and self-esteem entail. Once we come to an essential appreciation of what and whom the true self is, we will have developed, God willing, a powerful antidote to the disease of betraying ourselves and others. The terrible condition of the world is as it is because our spiritual conditions are what they are. Each person is responsible for his or her contribution of betrayal to the day-to-day -day life of the world. If we want the world to change, we must first change ourselves. We must learn how to stop betraying ourselves so that we can stop betraying others. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music